So this week, as we said, we're going to be talking about the power of personal transformation. Davy and I and others have been talking on this general theme for a while now, ever since we started the Be the Change campaign. Be the Change came from a quote by Mahatma Gandhi, who said that we must become the change that we want to see in the world. And so at various Yogananda fests or elsewhere, other places, uh, here also we've been talking basically on that kind of general theme. But this week we want to talk on it in a much deeper way because here we have a gathering basically of yogis in a broader audience. Uh, people's consciousness is more outwardly directed and therefore in order to speak to that group you have to have uh, a, a way of talking that is somewhat more outward in its nature. Basically, we, I at least, would tell people in a variety of ways that if they wanted to see change in the world, they had to start with themselves. But we didn't go very deeply in how to start with yourselves. The, the format just didn't allow it. This week, we're going to go quite deeply into that. This morning, Davy and I will be talking about tools of personal transformation. Tomorrow, they'll be talking about, a panel will be talking about karma. On Wednesday, about the chakras. On Thursday, about meditation. On Friday, about the guru and the power of the guru. And on Saturday, a panel talking, mainly answering questions, but talking about making it real for you. Master said that the problem is, he was talking about his own lectures, the problem is that you, he was talking to an audience sitting in front of him, you may hear this lecture and you may feel inspired by my words, but unless you put them into action, they won't have any lasting power. And so this week I hope that we will all be not only inspired by the words, by the concepts, by the energy, by the, not just the, the words, not just the mind, but by the joy and by the love and by the whole element of light here. But unless by a week from today we go away with the resolve to put into practice at least some of the inspiration that we've heard, then it won't have very much lasting effect on us. So I want to talk a little bit about the power that inward transformation has. Master said, I saw a t-shirt, maybe, ah, there's one. It's a quote from Master saying, change yourself and you have done your part in changing the world. It's a very, very good quote from Master. So change yourself and you have done your part in changing the world. But we also have to recognize that everyone has an influence on other people. We may influence them positively. We may influence them negatively. We may influence only a small circle of people. 
we may have a worldwide influence. And as we can well see in the world today, it isn't necessarily the power of transformation in always an upward direction. People also have the power to, in, and we have the power within ourselves, to transform ourselves not only in an upward direction, but also in a downward direction toward negativity and worldliness and so on. But if we can transform ourselves in an upward direction, and if we can do that powerfully, then we can begin to exert an influence, especially in our own lives, those we meet, those we connect with, those who see or hear us, we can exert an upward influence. And if we can do that very, very powerfully, then we can become like a master, like a Mahatma Gandhi, like Swami Kriyananda, like Mother Teresa, like Martin Luther King. What was the unifying factor in all of them? Not that they had power, charisma, yes, of course, they had to have that. But the really unifying factor was that they had the power of God behind their upward and inward transformation. We watched a, a wonderful movie about the life of Mother Teresa documentary with Swami Kriyananda. And he enjoyed the movie very, very much. But when he came out of the movie, he said, there was a line in that movie that I suspect very, very few people will hear or understand. But it's the most important line of all. It was Mother Teresa talking about the fact that she didn't serve the poorest of the poor because that's what she wanted to do. She served the poorest of the poor because she heard from Jesus, her guru, the command to serve the poorest of the poor, and therefore she was doing her guru's will, who was doing God's will. And so it's the attunement of our individual will with the divine will that gives real power to whatever we are going to be able to do. And the more deeply and the more powerfully we do that, then the more powerful will not only be our self-transformation, but the influence for upward transformation that we might have on the world. I want to talk this morning specifically, as well as the tools of transformation, I want to talk about the aspect of inward transformation that is outlined in the Bhagavad Gita and in Masters. I just want to check something. No, I didn't. Uh, I'm supposed to limit my talk here so Davy has enough time. And the excuse for having an eye watch <laughs> is that it has a timer on it. And that timer gives me a little vibration on my wrist when I've reached the end of what is supposed to be my talk, that assumes you have the awareness to start the timer, which can be a problem. 
Okay, so coming back. So I want to talk about a particular aspect from the Gita. You know, Ananda is starting, most of the people in the community know this, but many others may not. We're starting an institute of consciousness in New Delhi, uh, and it's extremely has the potential to reach millions and millions of people. It's well-founded, and it's going to be in a temple complex. But as the ideas have coalesced around it, the Institute will be completely based upon Master's teachings. And the teachings of our line of gurus, Babaji and the rest of the gurus, Master and Swami, as expressions of that. So the teachings of the Institute will be completely based around that. But more than that, for the purpose of this morning's talk, the core of it will be how that those teachings were expressed in the essence of the Bhagavad Gita. It comes from the inspiration that Master said that millions will find God through this scripture when he finished it. He said, I have seen it. And so we're wondering how that can take place and the ideas coalesced to base the Institute on all of the spiritual teachings and then their applications. So it won't be just teaching the Gita, which is done at hundreds of ashrams in India. It will be living the Gita, how to take these principles and apply them. But I want to talk about the particular aspect which has to do absolutely and centrally with this topic of self-transformation. You know, in the Gita, all of the names are symbolic. They're symbolic of um, different qualities within us. And so the Pandavas are the son of Pandu, his name means white in Sanskrit, or as Master explained it, it means the power of the discrimination of the mind. Dhritarashtra is the, his, his sibling, and so all of the characters are of one family. Dhritarashtra is born blind. He represents the blind mind. And so the descendants of the of pure discrimination and of blind mind are at war with each other well it's not the cousins it's the fact that these all represent qualities within ourselves so master said that the eldest son of the blind mind is duryodhana master called him king material desire Swami explains that he represents the ego and the desires of the ego expressed in an out, downward and outward way, seeking fulfillment through the world. And so he's the head of the clan, and all of his hundred brothers are subservient to him because they all represent qualities within us that derive their direction from trying to support the ego. On the other side are Pandavas, and Pandu only had five sons. They represent the five chakras, and I'm going to talk about that. 
But in the Gita, this war takes place. The Gita is the dialogue between Krishna and Arjuna on the eve of the battle, an 18-day battle that is going to take place and essentially kill everyone in the whole story, except for very, very few survivors. What that means symbolically is that self-transformation involves a battle within ourselves between our negative downward-pulling qualities and energy and our upward positive qualities and energy. And until that battle takes place and all, all of those negative qualities are eliminated, we won't find the highest transformation. We won't find samadhi. So that battle of inward transformation is taking place not outside of us. I mean, there are lots of things that we can do exterior to our consciousness that can help us transform ourselves. We can serve. We can clean up our diet. We can clean up our house. We can not watch certain things or read certain things. All of those things, outward influences, and they're important. I'll come back to that. But real transformation takes place within us. So there's a very, very simple paradigm here, but it's very important that we understand this. In our astral spine, in our spinal energies, there is always in this world, this world is based upon duality. It can't come into existence without duality. Like a tuning fork that is still and not moving back and forth between two poles or a guitar string that has not been plucked, there's no sound from that. You pluck it and that movement back and forth creates waves which create sound. Take that down to a deeper level and consciousness until it is put into active manifestation. Lahiri Mahashaya called it the dynamic aspect of prana. And he said that God represents the still aspect of prana, which is pure satchitananda. But he has to, if he's going to manifest that, take some little portion, Lahiri said 1% of his consciousness, and pluck it, set it into vibration. And that vibration always has a polarity and a duality. And so that movement into vibration underlying, we hear it as Om. I, I was going to record it, but I didn't have time. There's a fascinating sound recording done by NASA of the sound of the sun. It's exactly the sound of Om. So you can look it up on YouTube or wherever those things exist, and you'll be able to hear it. But you hear it, and it's exactly Om. So that's the sound that the sun makes. Master said that the sound of Om is the vibratory vibratory element of sound in all of the universe, in the in the produced universe, manifested universe. So that's the way God 
produces this universe. He plucks a little bit of his consciousness. It vibrates, and that that uh, digital uh, duality produces the appearance of an outward reality. But what we're going to do is work with that duality inside of our own spine. And inside of our own spine, that duality expresses itself by energy rising prana, rising up the spine, or prana going down the spine. Master said that the energy, the sea of prana that we live in, that energy enters our body at the area of the medulla. And if it descends into the spine and goes in a downward direction, that produces the body. It's how the very element of of growth, the sperm and ovum unite, and the first cell is at the medulla, and then the body is formed from that. And so this is the natural way. But that downward flowing energy also flows out, and it flows out through the senses, and it creates all of the desires. Now, our job as yogis is to work backwards from that. That's the worldly flow. It's what creates creation. But you and I are trying to uncreate creation. We're trying to get out of the manifested world and back into what we truly are, that vibrationless state beyond. But first we have to get at least into the highest aspect of the vibratory state, which is samadhi or Christ consciousness. That's where we're headed. So we want to disengage from that outward direction. As it's put in the Bible, it's St. Paul, I think, said, I, I protest by the Christ that is within me that I die daily, meaning that he has withdrawn that energy and brought it up. So the whole of the spiritual path, we have hundreds of techniques. We have lots of teaching. We have lots of attitudes. We have lots and lots to do. But it comes down to this very simple paradigm. The more we have our energy flowing in an upward direction, the more it will become withdrawn, and we will feel first the happiness that comes from that. Happiness is a reflection in this world of our elemental state of joy. And ultimately, if we can bring that energy completely to the point between the eyebrows, at that point, we will go into a state of samadhi, or of Christ consciousness, and we will cease to have the ego or the separation from the rest of the world. So that's our job as yogis. Yoga means union. It means that process of achieving union, integration with ourselves and union with God. So coming back to the Gita, the Gita has a fascinating explanation of this. So here are the... Arjuna and Krishna are in the middle of this battlefield the night before the the battle takes place. Just a little side note, one of our Indian friends said this was the most excruciating time of his life. As a young boy, there was a television program in India of the Bhagavad Gita, 
And it was so popular that businesses... Mahabharata. Yeah, thank you. Mahabharata. So, and it was so popular that businesses shut down. We were in an airport when they were playing it. We looked around. They said, what's going on? Have they canceled the flights? We looked over in a corner. There were about 200 people gathered around a television set watching it. So here we have this whole buildup. And finally, so I'm talking about an eight-year-old now and his, <laughs> and his buddies. So this eight-year-old and his buddies, this whole buildup is building and building and building. And finally, the war is about to begin. And they've made their toy swords. And they've got cardboard armor on. And they've painted themselves like the warriors. And then the night comes for the battle to start. And... Krishna starts talking to Arjuna. <laughs> and week after week, Krishna talks to Arjuna. He said it was the most excruciating time in his life. He and his buddies finally left the television and went out and had their battles until finally it caught up with their desires. So this, anyway... For us, we're less interested in the battle <clears throat> than we are in the advice of how to carry on that battle. So the major characters, the, the negative side I've already said, from the blind mind, we have uh, Duryodhana and all his hundred brothers, and they all represent worldly tendencies and qualities. On the positive side, we have Pandu, is is passed away, but his sons, the five Pandu brothers, and there are complications, which I won't go into, but basically that. Then we have two other major characters. Krishna, of course, represents God. In this case, he is spread both to the Pandavas and the Kauravas. To the Pandavas, he will advise Krishna but he won't fight on their behalf. He's going to frustrate that little eight-year-old boy because his job is to advise spiritually in this. All of his armies and his soldiers and his wealth is on the Pandava side, I mean the Kurava side, because that's worldly expression. And the most touching part of the Mahabharata for me and for many others is when both Duryodhana and Arjuna arrive to ask Krishna's help in this upcoming battle. Duryodhana arrives just before Arjuna. And so he sits at the, just, Krishna is asleep in his bed. Duryodhana pulls up a chair and he sits right by Krishna's head because he wants to have Krishna see him as soon as he wakes up. Arjuna arrives just after and he kneels at the foot of Krishna's bed. Krishna, of course, is only pretending to be asleep. God is never asleep. Don't think you can get away with anything because he isn't noticing. So Arjuna is kneeling at the foot of the bed and Krishna opens his eyes and he says, oh, because he's looking down, he says, oh, Arjuna, you are here. And then, <coughs> oh, Duryodhana, you are here also. 
And he said, I see that you have both come to ask for my help, but I can't be overly partial. What I'll do is I'll give all of my war elephants and my soldiers and my lances and my weapons and all of that to one side. To the other, I will give only myself as a counselor and I will act as a charioteer. Since I saw you, Arjuna, I'll ask you to choose first. Do you? Let me have those war elephants. Let me have. And Arjuna says, I want you, Lord. And Krishna says, so be it. And Duryodhana is, of course, gleeful. But that is the end of the battle right there. Because as we look around us to the choices that we have, if we choose something of the world, remember our job is to withdraw from the world, to exit the world into a state of pure consciousness. If we think we can do that by amassing more wealth, by amassing more power, by being greedier, then it works against us. If we choose God and God alone, then it works for us. So coming back, so Krishna, and there's one more very important character, which is Draupadi. And she represents Kundalini, and through circumstances I won't go into now, she is the wife of all of the five Pandava brothers. But she represents Kundalini, the power of prana. We have a resource of power here. We have a resource of prana at the base of the spine. Think of it as the positive and negative polarity of a battery. When those two are brought together, then they're neutralized and whatever screen, whatever movie that battery has been um, producing or energizing winks out of existence. Battery's now neutralized and we go into another dimension. So Kundalini has to rise up through these five chakras represented by the, the Pandava brothers. But I want to talk about that process a little bit because for us, the essential battle, the essential transformation is all about raising the spine and doing those actions that prevent or at least ameliorate its movement down the spine. So as Kundalini first begins to rise, it hits the two youngest brothers, their twins, uh, Sahadev and Nakula. That's the base of the spine and the second chakra. And even in our anatomy, those two are kind of fused together in our anatomical body. Now, what happens there is as those two inward chakras are energized in an upward direction, with Sahadev, we attain the power to avoid that which is downward drawing, avoid temptation, avoid negativity. It's also the yamas. The intertwine of the 
symbols in the Gita is absolutely marvelous. But it's the yamas. Patanjali said the yamas were non-violence, non-lying, non-stealing, non-sensuality, and non-greed. But they're also the other 95 brothers of, of the negative side. So they're all of those things that draw the energy down. But as the kundalini awakens, the upward movement awakens the lowest chakra, we attain the power to avoid their influence, to be above that. As kundalini, as the energy descends, remember it's dualistic, as the energy descends to that, we say, oh boy, violence, greed, sensuality, stealing, lying, oh, all mine, all mine. That's what the Kuravas are saying. I don't know whether some other people might be saying that too right now, but that's the turbulent times that we find ourselves in. As it comes to the second chakra, we attain the power to follow that which is good. So yama is to avoid that which is means control, avoid letting our energy go to that which is downward pulling. Niyama is to be able to put our energy into that which is upward lifting. And Patanjali says cleanliness, contentment, austerity, self-study, and devotion to God. But it's all of the Pandavas. It's all of the characteristics that draw our energy up. As it comes to the third chakra represented by Arjuna, we attain fiery self-control. And I'm going to talk more about that. But fiery self-control, fiery self-control helps us attain self-transformation. The downward-moving energy also impels us toward control, but it impels us to control everything outside of ourselves. There's something in biology called the dominance hierarchy, and so the dominance hierarchy, which goes way back hundreds of millions of years into the formation of the life forms all throughout the world, creatures and people are trying to control the environment and, and other creatures of the same nature around them so that they can achieve dominance. But that downward pulling thing, again, attacks, attaches us to the world. So now we're on the path of upward self-transformation. As that energy continues upward, it comes to the heart chakra, which is bhima. And bhima represents the feelings that are now directed upward toward enlightenment. So all of our feeling nature, our likes and dislikes, Patanjali said that when we neutralize the eddies of likes and dislikes, then we will achieve the state of yoga. So the Anahat Chakra is the seed of those. And now the power of the rising energy allows us to offer those up to the highest centers, offer them up to God and to, to be released from them. Obviously, the downward flowing energy does the opposite. It enhances the power and pushes outwardly the direction of 
all of our likes and dislikes. And so our likes and dislikes are going to largely determine how we act in the world. Then at the throat chakra, the eldest brother, Yudhistra, that gives us calmness, detachment, and wisdom. And finally, at the spiritual eye is represented the seat of Krishna, the spiritual light, joy, the power of wisdom, the power of God that is transforming. So our job as yogis, the real transformation, comes from controlling the direction of that energy. All of our techniques are meant to allow us to do that. This represents pranayama and this pratyahara, by the way. But all of that energy, the teachings, allow us to control the flow and the direction of that internal energy of positive and negative. Obviously, we have somewhat mixed, but the more that energy flows in an upward direction, the more the inner world and the spiritual world becomes dynamic and real to us. So if we're talking about self-transformation, the paradigm is very simple. Get your energy under control and direct it upwardly, and you will be self-transformed. Don't do that, and you won't. Pretty simple, isn't it? So everything we do is meant for that purpose. Now, if we can do that completely, if Kundalini rises all the way and is seated here, then at the end of that process, we no longer have an ego because it, we've transcended the, as I said, use the image of a movie and the projector is run off of a battery. And if that battery, now the poles have been neutralized, there's no longer any juice going to the projector, therefore no drama being played out on the screen. And we rest in our own self, in our own higher nature. So that's the process that we're under. That's the self-transformative process. Now, we're supposed to talk about the tools. We have four tools available to us. We have reason, we have will, we have activity, but we also have feeling in there. But Master said, the highest prayer is, I will reason, I will will, I will act, but guide thou my reason, will, and activity to the right path in everything. What's the right path? It's the upward path. The wrong path? The downward path. So we have reason, will, reason, slash, feeling together, will, and activity as our tools. That's, our, that's the consciousness. That's the way we express ourselves. And we have those under our, as one might say, those are the gifts that we have of individual self-determination. But we don't use them very much. Master talked again and again. If you read his lectures or hear his voice, you'd better be prepared to sit up straight because there is so much power in his words and in his voice that 
It's a challenge to read his lectures. He said the power of the mind is infinite. That if we want something, if we are uh, convinced, if we can convince the mind, then instantaneously we will have it. Up to the point of creating golden palaces. But think in our lives of our challenges, of our habits. I'm going to read a quote or two. Just to to let you know, a couple of stories. One time, Master was coming home from a lecture, and his in those days everybody smoked, and his clothing and his hair and his skin was just saturated with smoke, and he of course did not, nor did he enjoy that smell and feeling, and. He thought to Divine Mother, I don't want that anymore. But he realized he couldn't control everybody else's. What could he control? His own mind. So he said, from that point on, I said, Divine Mother, you are also the smoke. And it never bothered me again. There's another story. He was traveling across country with two students in an open sedan a a touring car and they were camped somewhere at night and it was a very cold night and master and another one of the students were sleeping in the car they had one blanket and master pulled it on him and the other guy pulled it over (laughs) to his side they were asleep master pulled it to him the other guy pulled it the student pulled it over master realized i can't There's only one blanket. He's cold. I have the power. He sat up and he meditated. And a wave of warmth just came over him. He was so hot from the power of that thought of warmth that he almost had to take the shawl and clothing off. But he woke up in the morning. He was the one who was warm. The other two were shivering. Because it all lies in the mind. So I'm going to read this quote. Very simply, all you have to do is think away the thoughts you want to destroy by replacing them with constructing thought. This is the key to heaven. It is in your hands. So the power of our mind is absolutely unstoppable except that we stop it. So whatever we powerfully want and think and convince ourselves that we have, we will have. So, but discrimination, you'd best, uh, you know, there are a lot of paths that talk about the power to manifest yourself a car or a parking place or whatever it is. So use discrimination and that upward current. Second tool that we have is willpower. Thought without will won't accomplish anything. So if you've been sitting here and you have the thought, boy, this chair is a little hard and I'm the feeling I'm a little uncomfortable. You can have that thought another dozen times until you add to that thought the energy that sends a message to your muscles to move and adjust or to put a cushion under you or whatever. 
So first thought, then will. It's causal, astral, physical. Thought is causal. Will is sending the energy in our bodies. That's an electrochemical process that sends the energies from the nerves and activates the muscles, and then it results in action. So those are the really the three tools that we have. And the highest prayer is to have those tools guided by God and by wisdom. And so our will, too, can become unstoppable until we decide to stop it. So empower those and attune your actions to this upward flow. And the result will be self-transformation. And as we do that over and over and over again, through meditation, through elimination of karma, attunement to the guru, all the things we're going to talk about this week, real, actual self-transformation will take place. I just want to end with, this is both silly and not silly at the same time. In 1944, there was a song written by Johnny Mercer. Some of you have heard the lyrics and some haven't. But here they are, and it's a good way to remember this teaching that the whole of the path is the controlling of the direction, the directional flow of energy or prana. And the words are, accentuate the positive, eliminate the negative, latch on to the affirmative, and don't mess with Mr. In-Between. Once again... Accentuate the positive, eliminate the negative, latch on to the affirmative, and don't mess with Mr. In-Between.